Okay, hello everybody. Uh, this is Bob Main. You're listening to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast, episode 608 to be exact. And this week I'm excited to have real good guests. As you see on your screen, I've got Brent Yamamoto. And uh, Marco, would you pronounce your last name for me? Innocenti. All right, I got Marco Innocenti. And wait till you guys hear their resumes. As you know, I like to bring I like to bring practical stuff to you. Um, I'm I'm not as accomplished as these guys, but that's why I do this show. I bring on experts like these guys to hopefully share some good information with you. So let's get started. Um, Marco, we were talking before we started this recording, and you were explaining to me your very impressive resume. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, so my name is Marco Innocenti. It can be pronounced Innocenti. I'm sure there's some... Uh, listeners and viewers will go, no, it's Innocenti, so we'll just clarify that right off the bat, but nobody gets it right, so it doesn't matter. Um, so I joined, just joined Suarez Tactics as one of their new instructors after a 25-year career as a first responder, 23 as a police officer law enforcement, and two years way back in the early 90s as a firefighter EMT. I worked for a city PD, a county sheriff's office. Uh, during that time, I was patrol officer. I was bailiff court security. I spent 14 years on SWAT. I was a collateral SWAT team. Uh, I was a felony crimes detective, full-time felony crimes detective for eight years with those two organizations, working homicides and crimes against persons and everything else like that. Oh, um, nice. was a firearms instructor for regular law enforcement and SWAT, as well as uh, arresting control defensive tactics hand-to-hand, baton impact weapons, taser crowd control, all of that for both the special operations teams in the jurisdictions that I worked, as well as regular swarm personnel. I got out for a couple of years, was teaching in the private sector, and then I went back to work at the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. I was a DA inspector there for a few years. Really? Or okay. I ended up um, uh, doing a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, the kind of crime that you expect from a city like that, getting involved in some really interesting cases. Yeah. Um, during that time, I ended up taking over the firearms and tactical training unit uh, with another phenomenal uh, firearms instructor who came from a local PD, great guy who's now working in the private sector. Um, I was on the dignitary protection detail for the city, so we dealt with doing all the driving and dignitary protection work for the DA, assisted with the mayor, as well as visiting dignitaries like our current vice president back when she was a senator and an attorney general on the governor and so on and so forth. Did a lot of that. I was on our CalRAP witness protection uh, detail for homicide witnesses and stuff like that. Um, I spent a year at the NICRIC, the Northern California Regional Intelligence Center, which was a subset of the Joint Terrorism Task Force as an intelligence and threat analysis officer. Excellent. Did a lot of critical infrastructure protection work and stuff like that. Um, but the teaching side of it, the instructional side of it, has always been my absolute passion. Yeah. Um, had a chance to train with you know, Tier 1 military and law enforcement and special operations teams from around the world. I've trained with a lot of different training organizations, some very well-known, some less well-known. But several years ago, when I had the opportunity to start training with Suarez International, now Suarez Tactics, their concepts, their philosophies, what they were doing just made the most sense. It was by far the most efficient, the most capable, the most realistic for what a person carrying a firearm for personal protection of themselves and their loved ones. It's just there's just nobody else doing what they were doing. So I made a little agreement with myself. I'm going to get on with these guys. (laughs) Yeah. And I was going to say, Marco, it sounds like you're a perfect fit. That, yeah, it sounds I like you're classes good. with them until the opportunity presented. So, yeah, you know, the ability to give teach people this stuff, people who really want it, as opposed to cops who ah, I don't want to come to training. Ah, yeah, yeah, we know, we know <laughs> the real people. <laughs> good deal. Thank you, Marco. I appreciate it. Uh, Brent, uh, you've been on before, and uh, I had some real good reviews. It was some of my most listened to episodes. Um, give the audience a little bit about Brent Yamamoto. Okay, yeah, just a, just a real quick uh, one for me. I've been training martial arts over 40 years, uh, and even from a little kid, I was always interested in, you know, I, I heard about these guys that they did judo and karate and all these other things, so I wanted to be that guy. Uh, and so I, I became that guy, you know, and I just, I've just been cross-training in different disciplines my whole life. Um, I, like I said, I've been, I've been training over 40 years. Uh, I also grew up around firearms, so I've always been a shooter. But that early martial arts training really kind of shaped how I approached the firearm. And, you know, I didn't approach it as a hunter. I didn't approach it, approach it as recreational shooting. To me, this was a martial art. Yeah. And 
that's how I've always viewed it. You know, these things, these things are for a certain thing, right? It's for accomplishing something. And a lot of people don't like talking about that, but that's what they're for. And that's how I view it. And, you know, for years and years, what I was doing was trying to find, I was looking for instruction on how to integrate the hand to hand, -hand material with the firearm. And you know what? Nobody taught that. And so I just started, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to do it myself. And then eventually I, I met Gabe Suarez. I started training with him. Uh, I've been, I've been teaching under Suarez International and now Suarez Tactics for 10 years. Oh, 10 years. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been training with Gabe for a long time, been teaching with him for a long time. I, I go down to Arizona and, and help Gabe with his classes at least twice a year, if not more. Um, and so we, you know, we have a very close relationship and, and work together on, on a lot of material. Uh, and like Marco was saying, it's, you know, I, I have a real passion for teaching people material that actually works, you know, in the martial arts world, in the gun world, there's a lot of bullshit and <laughs> I'm, I'm really kind of violently anti-bullshit. You know, the, this stuff, it has to work because <laughs> it. It's it. This saves people's lives, and yeah. people hear things that are, that are wrong or misguided or only like half of the truth, half of the story, so much of the time. And so that's really what I'm dedicated to. I've been teaching professionally martial arts for over 20 years, uh, teaching firearms for just over 10 years now, and that's what I do. It's kind of my specialty is, is putting those things together, and that's the basis of of the class we're going to talk about today: pistol ground fight. Yeah. And uh, thank you guys for the introduction. You know, I'm looking forward to meeting uh, Gabe also for the first time. Uh, I think he's going to be coming down here to Free America in Texas in April. And cool. um, you guys, uh, just for the audience's benefit, Brent's joining us from Washington. And uh, Marco, you're in Northern California, right? That is correct, yes. Okay. All right. I'm glad that you guys are able to even teach this stuff up there where you're located. It's good. I, I suspect both of those areas are going to start to get a little more free. We'll see about that. Um, yeah, I think that that Bruin decision from the Supreme Court is going to have a material effect on reasonableness coming back into the states. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're right, Marco. Brent, I want to get to pistol gunfighting and uh, pistol ground fighting, excuse me, um, in a minute. But but Marco, you just made an interesting thing, a comment that I want to see if I can get you to expand. A little bit on that the Bruin decision I have been seeing states the anti-gun states pushing back on that and actually totally defying the Supreme Court um, decision is that happening in California yeah there was a, a bill that was getting pushed through the local you know the California state legislature to severely restrict the types of places where you know a person who has met all of the state's standards to have a concealed weapons permit could actually carry the weapon. Did that pass? And the, yeah, the restrictions had gotten to the point, you know, as it was originally written, where you could probably, I mean, this is a little bit of a statement, but you could carry at your house or maybe if you're in your car in the middle of the freeway pretty much, you know. Thankfully, it died in committees from what I heard. I'm sure it will be tried again. Mm. The good news is, is the way that majority opinion in Bruin was written, it sets a pretty strict framework for future laws and, and restrictions to existing laws. So okay. I do still have some hope for California and other states like it. But, you know, what are the consequences for elected officials violating the Constitution? There is none right now. That's <laughs> yeah. one of the challenges. Kind of there are no, none. Uh, Brent, in Washington, what's happening there? Is there any changes going on? It's a it's a shit show. Uh, you know, we just passed a, a magazine ban, or not a magazine ban, but limiting <clears throat> to 10 rounds. Uh, it's not as bad as California yet. Um, I don't see things Im improving in the immediate future, but, you know, we'll see. One can always hope. That's just it. <laughs> and, Marco, you said something very important. What's the consequences? There, there are none. And... Not only elected officials that defy, but there doesn't even seem to be any consequences for the lower court judges that defy that decision either. Right. All the bureaucratic appointees of the elected officials, who the people had no say in the appointment thereof, what happens? I've so, always been a big believer that laws are only as good as their enforcement. And the Supreme Court can decide any way they want, but somebody's got to enforce it. Yeah. You know, the way it was in California, where it was, you know, the, the prior 
individual sheriffs, police chiefs, law enforcement executives of, over their jurisdiction had the ability to decide or not. So you had several counties in California that were shall issue counties. And then you had some that were incredibly restrictive. You know, I'm lucky in that my, you know, my former sheriff and the new sheriff of my jurisdiction are reasonable and are, are, are doing the right thing and doing it in a way that I think is going to be successful. But there's a lot of other jurisdictions, San Francisco County, some of the other counties. <laughs> Who knows? That's not, and that's technically not allowed by the recent Supreme Court decision. Everybody, everybody's supposed to be treated the same when it comes to their Second Amendment rights, and so they're still California is still in violation of that. It seems that way. It really yeah. does. It's. it's yeah. uh, it's frustrating. Thank God for my retired Leosa credentials. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. There you go. Well, and I treasure them and I am very careful around them. Good. So. Well, it's not yeah. it wasn't my intent to get into politics. I try to keep this show free from politics. So let's get going, Brent. Let's talk about your class coming up. Let's talk about it. And the last time you and I talked, I asked an important question. What are what are people going to get from this class if they take it? So let's, right. let's talk about that. Okay, we'll start there. So pistol ground fighting, I mean, what the class is, it's, it's in the title, right? It's a, it's a gunfight that happens to be on the ground, okay? However you got there, you slipped, you tripped, uh, you fell, somebody knocked you down, somebody took you down. And you're, uh, you're in immediate danger, right, of losing life and limb. And so how do you access your pistol and take care of that threat that's attacking you? So the class is really, in a nutshell, it's it's about being able to draw your pistol, okay? Uh, <laughs> within that is there are a lot of skill sets that are baked baked into that because when you're on the range alone and no one's pressuring you, it's no big deal to draw your pistol. When a guy like Marco or a guy like me is on top of you trying to hurt you, it's very very difficult to get that pistol out. Yeah, so that's really what the class is about. So. You know, in terms of what people get out of it, they, they get a ton of things out of it. But in my opinion, the, the, the single biggest thing is that you learn what not to do, right? There are clearly mistakes that you can make. Um, and the time to learn what those mistakes are is in a class where it's a safe environment, where, there, where the penalty, I think, Marco, you put it this way, that the penalty is not a, a losing your life, okay? Um, the time to learn that is in a safe environment. Um, so it's, it's about avoiding those mistakes because what people did, what I find people do, gun guys, they, a lot of gun guys, they don't know how to use these. And they certainly don't know how to do things on the ground. Yeah. So they immediately go to access their pistol uh, because that's what they know. But, you know, the jujitsu guys, they have a saying. They, they say uh, position before submission. Okay, so what that means, let's say that Marco and I are, are grappling and I'm trying to choke him out. Well, if, if I'm not in a good position to do that, he can stop me. He can feel what I'm trying to do. He knows what I'm trying to do. And he can easily stop me while I, I tire myself out. So the idea is you, you take your position first. You create your position and, and put yourself in a place where you can be successful. And ultimately, that's what the class is about, is positioning yourself successfully so that you can access your pistol. And that's, it's not complicated, but it's much easier said than done. Yeah. And so the gun people, what they, what they try and do is they try and draw their pistol before they're in position. So that's, that to me, that's kind of the, the single biggest thing that they get out of it. They get a ton more things, but I think maybe that's where we should start. That's a Marco, good place to start. Yeah. yeah. Um, Marco, I'd like to get your take on that. I mean, just to kind of expand on, well, first of all, <laughs> me trying to stop Brent from choking me out, that would be pretty funny. But um, <laughs> um, you can practice, right? Yeah, that's just it. And that's what this is, right? This is this this is an environment where with some safe with safety protocols, with instructors, with people who have some experience teaching concepts that we can then break down to the individual's techniques out on the mat, right? These ideas, you position before submission. There's certain things you have to be able to do to be able to produce the firearm, the knife, whatever weapon it is that you're using to defend yourself against someone who's trying to, you know, create great bodily injury or death upon you on the street. You know, this isn't in the ring. This isn't in the octagon. There isn't a referee. If somebody's taking you down on pavement to get a high mount and ground and pound you or break your arm or break your leg or choke you out, you have the right to defend yourself up to the ultimate. You certainly level. do. Yeah. So 
And what a lot of gun guys do is, is they really do. They get so focused on getting to the gun that they forget about the rest of the defensive positions that they need. And nine times out of ten, as instructors, we end up not only not letting them get the gun, but we take it from them. And now I have the gun, and I'm in the position of dominance with whatever ground positions we're working. And so, it's probably over by then. Yeah, and it's up, so it's an opportunity then for them to, learn, to make those mistakes in that environment where the consequences aren't permanent and life-altering. Uh, it, it's an opportunity for them to develop their own physical skill sets. Everybody moves a little bit differently. Everybody has different levels of physical fitness. And giving them the chance to develop little tricks and, and shortcuts and stuff mm-hmm. that will allow them to be more successful in these circumstances. It really also gives them a chance to work their equipment. Mm-hmm. Too many people, they, they get their CCW or they're an off-duty cop and they bought the cheap holster and the gun belt and the blah, 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 and they throw it on every day. And the most stress it takes is... You know, their overweight body getting up and down from a chair in and out of a car. They've never, they have no idea what will happen if they get in a real fight with this stuff on. So there's an opportunity for them to test their gear and what they actually have believed in will control and their weapons and allow them to access it under real stress. So the whole idea is, it's kind of like the ultimate dress rehearsal, the ultimate sparring contest, as realistically as we can create it, mm-hmm. but still have the safety involved. Yeah, I want to ask you guys a question. This sounds to me more like a fighting class, not a shooting class. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I say that all the time in my classes. I, I tell people straight out, I, I don't teach shooting so much as I teach fighting. You know, it's when I teach martial art classes, do I teach people how to punch? Yeah, but it's not a punching class. It's a fighting class. You know, and shooting is just one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would like to I would like to point out that for 13 years that I've been doing this show, I've been saying that 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 a private citizen. And let's talk about private citizens for a minute. What they're going to be involved in is a fight. They're probably not going to be involved in a shooting. They're going to be involved in a fight. Correct? Absolutely. You and you think that's that true? Citizen is if that private citizen is armed, they're involved in a fight that a gun is already present in. Yeah. Even if they don't know what their opponent has under their shirt in their pockets, there's already deadly weapons involved in that fight. Just yeah. The victim's point of view. And Marco, in your career in law in law enforcement, um, what have you seen a difference between the typical fights that law enforcement get into and the fights that private citizens get into? Yeah, you know, most of the time, private citizens, it's one on one or you know, several on one, most of the fight, you know, thankfully most of the fights I got into in law enforcement, I had some other friends with me. I was on the, uh, on the uh, numerically superior side, but the average like private citizen fight, drunken bar brawl, or, you know, the the guy with mental health issues, who's chosen you as a victim who wants to attack you. Often their goal is to hurt you is to cause real damage. Yeah. You know, as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, my use of force is designed to end their resistance and gain control. It's not to create damage. It's not to punish. It's not in a you know situation of, oh, you got me. I have to get you back twice as hard. Yeah. And also, the average citizen, most of them, some have a lot more training than cops, as do a lot of yes, bad Yes, they do. But, you know, I have my vest. I have my pepper spray. I have my baton. I have my gun. I have my radio to call for help. Um most folks out there in the world carrying a firearm, maybe a spare magazine, maybe a folding knife in their pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're smart, maybe they have an OC on their keychain. And they come to rely on those tools too often. And cops, though, do do this as well. They become so reliant on the tool, on the mechanical device, yeah. that they forget that they have to train themselves to use it in the most efficient I'm sorry, efficient and capable manner. Yeah, they certain they certainly do. Thanks, Marco. Brent, um, your your class is called pistol ground fighting. How how often and how quickly do fights go to the ground? So it's it's hard to find statistics on how often the classes go to the ground. And, and Marco, maybe you know some some stats from from law enforcement perspective. I I did see some material just the other day. That was, you know, a guy had captured a bunch of video and done comparisons and of the of fights on video. I want to say it was around 30% of these that went to the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, honestly, I don't know how much fights go to the ground, and quite frankly, I don't care. Yeah. What's important is in your fight, do you go to the ground? Yeah, and if you do go to the ground, then you need to know what to do. 
then you need to know what to mm -hmm. do. I mean, not, I say this all the time in every ground class I do, that the, the first rule is don't go to the ground in the first place. And that's a big thing that, you know, I, I know you've done a lot of force on force class. It's all mm -hmm. movement, poppy X. It's a explosive physical movement, lots of footwork. That's our number, that's our primary defense tool, right, is moving. So and you teach that, it. you teach how to, how to keep it from going to the ground. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's part of it. But you know, many of the Suarez courses are based around that. Um, but the ground class is kind of it's an airbag, right? It's okay if if you know you could have done everything right and still ended up on the ground through no fault of your own, right? So this is this is the airbag kind of class when everything else has gone wrong. Um, and like Marco was saying, like there is there is a high penalty for failure here. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's... if you make those mistakes um, against someone who's bigger, stronger, someone who knows what they're doing, more yeah. likely than not, it, not only you're not going to be able to use your gun, they're probably going to take it from you yeah. if you don't know what you're doing. So what kind of person is eligible to take this class? Any, anyone can take it, um, but you know, obviously, this is a very physical class. Okay, we, we teach a bunch of classes. I would say the force on force class is pretty physical because you're you're running a lot. Yeah, I've taken it twice. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> this class is more physical than that because it's your whole body. Um, you know, both Marco and I we're in pretty good shape. Marco, how how sore were you after we were done? <laughs> oh man, a lot of ibuprofen, a lot of hot tub time. <laughs> I was gonna say stock up on ibuprofen. I had to do that. A lot of it too is my own. You know, you're. Individual students are going to work hard, harder than each other. Some are going to, some are going to want to go 100%. There was a guy in your class. He was a local police officer, former force reconnaissance marine. He did the whole class in his full law enforcement uniform duty gear, yeah. and he was a hammer swinger, man. <laughs> you know, and and then there's guys you go up against, and you, they're they're struggling a little bit, and you don't want to overpower them. You don't want to give them a negative experience. You want to allow them to try to train and develop so a lot of it's dependent on the in, on the individual but overall i'd say on average it's a very physical class okay. it's very demanding but the rewards for coming and doing what you're best capable of doing giving it your best i mean they're they're exponentially greater than Good. any well, sort or boo-boos you're gonna have by the end of it well thank you so for telling I'll me that, that. Um, you know, because I do this all the time in just my regular day-to-day -day courses, um, you know, you have some students who are at the tip of the spear, they're in shape, and they're going 100%, just like the kind of guys Marco was mentioning. You have other guys who they're not. They're, they're maybe older, they have some injuries, they need to go, go slower. So we can format the class to, you know, fit the needs of anyone who's attending. Okay. Okay. Good. That was that's what I was. Brent, thank you because I was wondering, does somebody have to be in really good physical condition to come to this class, or if no. somebody's got some limitations, will they learn something? Yeah. If if they well, they're still going to learn everything. If they have some limitations, they may not be able to do as much as some of the other students. But you know, you they still hear the same material. They still go through the same drills. So, the, you know, the, the learning is going to be the same. The only difference is, you know, if the, the more fit you are, the more repetitions you can go through, the harder you can go. And so the more that, you know, you, you, you're not only hearing the words and getting it input in the brain, but you do it with your body. And that's really the bigger lesson because this is a physical skill. It needs to be yeah. taught in a physical way. And so the more you do it physically, the more you're going to get out of it. Yeah, thanks, Brent. And Marco, like you said earlier, in law enforcement, you oftentimes had help. Yeah. Um, the average private citizen probably won't. They just right. don't. So being able to develop as many skills, especially skills that will allow them, best case scenario, to avoid being taken to the ground, or enough skills to disengage from somebody from the ground, get back to their feet, and even escape. That's a huge deal. I mean, I, you brought up that you've, you've taken the force-on-force -force classes twice. Mm -hmm. And I think you probably saw from my own experiences in that how many times people fell. Oh. Nobody touched them. Nobody pushed them. I fell but a bunch. In, under that kind of stress, trying to move your body in the real world where there's garbage on the ground and a curb and a parking bumper and stuff, you're going to – the likelihood of you doing nothing – aggressive only simply trying to escape make distance of losing your balance and ending up on the ground is pretty high and the likelihood of your aggressor taking advantage of that 
is equally high or greater. So your ability to make the initial defense, get back to your feet, work your tools in this environment to develop the skill set. This is what for me, it was one of the most valuable classes I've ever taken. Yeah. For all the training I've been to, for all the people I've take, trained with, being out there on the mats with Brent, having him put the pressure on, wow. Yeah. It, I, I feel like I grew more in my own skill set in that three days than I had in the previous 10 years. Yeah. I really did. And, you know, Marco, I have to admit, and I'm not afraid to admit this in that force on co- force, a couple of times I fell over myself. That's it. Happened. Just trying to get away. And, Just and that's to... on a flat range where there's no there's no obstacles. And, and you're only under the pressure of, of airsoft guns. <laughs> the real world's a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. But I'll say about those airsoft guns, wear gloves when you take the class. Um, yeah. The first time I took it, I didn't wear gloves, and boy, I regret that. I, I did not realize how many pellets I was going to take to the hands. Yeah, and that's funny. I mean, that comes from, you know, inex- I shouldn't say inexperienced shooters, but shooters who haven't had a lot of training actually or experience in fighting against another human because what you end up doing and we saw this in law enforcement too we started introducing sims and utm and then even airsoft the new guys the only thing they could see was their opponent's weapon that's all their focus would go to it so that's where the majority of their outgoing fire would go so yeah guys would take it in the hands and in the wrists until they started developing that skill set to say no the sights are there for a reason your sighting system is there for a reason there are point shooting techniques once you get to certain positions and distances and then you start seeing the hits where they need to go. But initially, yeah, hands get torn up. Oh, yeah, mine did. Brent, in this class, um, how long is it? Uh, normally, it's a two-day class. Uh, this class is a special one. Uh, we're doing the standard two-day ground fighting course. Uh, but then we're doing a third scenario day that, uh, you know, Marco's, that's the, the, the ground days is sort of kind of my wheelhouse. And then the scenario piece, that's really going to be Marco's wheelhouse. Um, but we're going to get a chance to take what we did in the class and put them in those scenario training. Uh, not only put this in, in a real-world context, but then you have your fight. And then Marco and you know a couple other guys that we're going to have there who are law enforcement or former law enforcement, they're going to interview you. And so you're going to get that practice of what you say to the cops when they ask you what happens. Ah, very good point. It's a, it's such an important point because the reality is your fight in some ways is just beginning. Yes. yes. If you have successfully used lethal force or even just significant other force that has created great injury on your on the suspect who attacked you. Law enforcement is going to be involved. There's criminal penalties. There's the probability of civil penalties, especially like where I live, where Brandon lives. And pretty, I don't want to say adversarial jury pools, but uninformed jury pools in, in, a, in a lot of these areas. So your ability to communicate very specific information to those responding law enforcement officers, to protect yourself, to articulate that what you did was lawful and justified and necessary. And of course, we get to tell the truth because evidence and facts will support what you're or or not support what you or tell not. them. Right, or not, but that's why you tell them the truth, you know? In a and, certain uh, way. You tell them the truth in a certain way. Yes, because yes. there's a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, no, 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 no. People have written books and people who are peddling in different insurances and stuff like that. Oh, no, no, I'm the good guy. All you, all you tell the cops is, I'm the good guy, that's the bad guy, there's his gun, I want a lawyer. Well, now I can't ask you anything else as the responding officer. So what do I do with you for the next few days until I figure out what's happened here? So I'm going to put you... Number one. Yeah, I'm going to put you someplace where I know you will be for the next three or four days, which is jail. Jail. You have the opportunity to make bail. And if you've used significant force, you're going to pay 20, 30 grand out of your own pocket in addition to the bond and what you put up for the bond. And Whereas if you have developed just the skill to say enough, then invoke your rights, of course, to ensure that they understand that what you did was necessary and righteous. And that if they were in your shoes, they would have done the same thing. Sleep in your own bed that night. Killing within the law. Take that class too. <laughs> yeah. So I have, I have I have this conversation a lot because I hear from from lawyers. I hear from other gun guys that that have heard you know read this from CCW insurance that basically you don't say anything. Say hey you're willing to cooperate, but you'll only after you have your lawyer there when you can make a statement. And you only the officer only has two choices. He's going to write you down as the victim or he's going to write you down as a suspect. That's it. And 
I, I get I get very frustrated because the advice is it always has this element of, well, you're not smart enough to know what to say. You're not smart enough to know when to shut up. And so the best thing to do is just shut up. And yet we we train all the time to you know handle our firearms, to you know overcome these incredibly stressful situations. And somehow, you know, we expect that we'll be successful there. But the expectation is that we can't be successful using our own words. That's a good point, I, Brent. You know, I don't point. buy into it. Do you need some training and, and some direction on what to say and how to say it? Yes, absolutely you do. Yeah. But I, I don't buy into this low expectation that educated human beings are incapable of speaking <laughs> in such a way to law enforcement to simply point out that you're the good guy and that you were justified in doing what you did. And quite frankly, I, I really don't think it's that complicated. You do have to be careful and you do have to practice it, but we practice our trigger presses. We practice our force on force movement. We practice our marksmanship. You know what? You can practice thinking and you can practice using your words. That it's is a, like, yeah, it becomes a word war at that point, doesn't it? It really, it really does. I mean, I tell my students all the time, look, you dry practice everything. You dry practice your mind. You dry practice your words, just like you said. And practice, even when you're sitting in traffic. It's like when I was a field training officer and I'd have a recruit. All right, where are we? Okay, you just, the car's taking gunfire. Tell me what you would do on the radio. Tell you, uh, okay, let's pull over and practice. You tell them, and you go through the list. Where are you? What's happening? Are there, you know, the kind of, and then you rehearse it. Otherwise, the first time it happens, you're going to warble on the radio like a turkey screaming and everyone's going to kind of, if you survive it, they're going to give you a hard time in the locker room. That's oh, what a great analogy that is. You know, Warble on the radio like a turkey. You have to practice. And there's and the neat thing about this, about that type of concept is you can do it anytime. Like well, I said, please. sit in traffic, run yeah. scenarios. What would you say if this happened? What would you say if the guy in that car hit me and tried to carjack me and I had to do something and then the cops show up? What would I say? How would yeah. I articulate this? When would I stop myself? And you can kind of practice it, especially once you have been given – some training, some framework, some outline to fabricate your own personal scenarios. And Marco, you said something about five minutes ago. You were talking about juries that you might be in front of that might not be so good. I'm not convinced on the theory that you're going to have a jury of your peers. I don't think you're going to have a jury of your peers. No. <laughs> not at all. And, and they're of the same species, and they're carbon-based life forms. You know, and they breathe oxygen, they eat food, and they drink water. Pretty and much. And that's, that's about it. And that's it. I think everybody sitting on that jury did not want to be there, and they tried to get out of it, as we all do, right? We all try to get out of jury duty. And so there's going to be 12 people there who are not your peers and didn't want to be there, most likely. And who likely but, have never had an experience like this. Maybe never been punched in the face in high school anymore, let alone been in a fight for their life in an alleyway in the dark, thinking about the next day is their kid's birthday, and are they going to be there for it? I mean, it's you. you have to have it all here you have to be the to the total package if you want to be successful yeah and, yeah and i'll add to that so you know the advice that you get from lawyers on dealing with this problem lawyers approach it from the battle space that they understand which is in the courtroom and they are used to defending people oftentimes who are guilty Okay. I, I've been given this advice, but I have several friends who are attorneys who are, who are, I think, actually good attorneys, and they say there's a difference between defending someone who's innocent, who's really innocent, and someone who's guilty. And that person who is guilty, in that case, yeah, usually they want you to shut up because it's easier for them to make their case. But our goal is to not end up in the courtroom in the first place. Our goal is to tell the, the true story of what actually happened to responding law enforcement so that you are listed as the victim, right? And make it very clear that you're the victim. And then you get to sleep in your own bed that night and you don't have to deal with the courtroom. You don't have to deal with the jury of, you know, <laughs> that, that you're going to get. The jury of not your peers. That, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Gabe, he wrote a book of, of precepts. And one, one of those precepts is the tiger does the killing and the antelope tells the tale. Very true kind of a colorful way to say it, but you know, you, you, we know we train to win that fight, yeah. right? And you have to be very aggressive and you have to, you know, you have to do what you do. You need the skill set for that. But when it comes times to tell the story, you have to have the skill set for that as well. 
Yeah. That's yeah. when, you know, in, in my daily life, I don't look at myself as a victim. I'm not a victim. By God, I'm not going to be a victim. But when it's time to tell a story, you bet I'm the victim. Legally, yeah. I am the victim. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if your shooting was justified, then legally you were the victim. That is correct. Brent, in, in pistol ground fighting, you mentioned earlier that you teach people to, first of all, avoid the whole thing going to the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then you also teach, you were saying, um, I believe you said something like uh, positioning yourself if you're on the ground, right? <laughs> Expand Correct. on that a little bit. Positioning yourself, how? Okay, well, so let's all think, right? Most people who are listening to this show, you know, you're, you're, you're gun people, and so we know how to practice, right? Practicing the draw from, from strong side, or whether it's appendix, right? And we can do this unimpeded when we're standing up. Well, when you're on the ground... You know, if you're on your back, you're, you're, if you carry strong side, your elbow, you can't do it. Yeah. Okay. So you have to move your body in different ways to make the, to make the room to access your pistol. And, you know, without getting, we'd have to, you know, actually begin to show techniques and start to teach the class, like to show what that actually is. But it's a different way of moving. It's a different way of thinking so that you can think around problems. And, and sometimes you have to contort yourself in ways to make the space to access it. Yeah. You know, that might be pushing the other guy, that might be crunching your body together, or, you know, bending in different ways to create that space. Brent, what's your martial arts expertise? I've been doing Okinawa karate for 40 years. I've been doing uh, jiu-jitsu and Aikido a number of years. I've dabbled in, uh, you know, different different striking, grappling, throwing systems, joint lock systems, uh, lots of different, you know, quote, traditional weapons, things like sticks, things, you know, sharp and pointy things. Um, and, and I've been uh, working on integrating that with the pistol for, you know, basic, basically all my life. Great. Marco, what's yours? Uh, got started way back in the day doing, you know, park and rec jiu-jitsu and karate and then got more serious with it. Was into Kenpo for quite a while, some jiu-jitsu, um, a little bit of Krav Maga when, when that seemed to be the big thing, especially going through law enforcement. I uh, went to LAPD's two-week, you know, 100-hour uh, arresting control, hand-to-hand school. Um, a lot of – which was kind of an eclectic. It was it was basically they were trying to teach you teach us MMA <laughs> – you know, to the point of handcuffs as opposed to a knockout and things like that. Um, kind of an eclectic lifetime study. And then a lot of seminars work, a lot of uh, work with guys like Brent. Like I said, that's why, you know, the first two days are primarily Brent's wheelhouse. And yeah. I'm going to be there to help because I, I, I have developed, you know, I, I wrestled, I boxed, you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, your average Italian kid grows up doing, you know, both <laughs> officially and unofficially, you know, at the bike racks at Catholic school. So that's <laughs> what it was. I, I designed the curriculum, but Marco absolutely knows what he's doing. I mean, there, there's a reason why, you know, I, I told Gabe, hey, you, you should you should hire this guy. And why, you know, I, I enjoy working with Marco. I've, I've worked with him, known him for a long time. So uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to teaching with him. He knows, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, so when is the class? Uh, November 18 through 20 okay. in Nevada, California. So, Marco, I didn't realize that's where you uh, you grew up. That's cool. Yeah, it's the town I grew up in. It's the, it's the town that my pop was a cop in where uh, I first started in. Um, the facilities there, and we can't tell too much about them until you sign up and, and, and you're ready, but they're really impressive. Mm-hmm. Huge mat room. A huge, fully furnished, uh, lighted, special effects-based uh, shoot house that was built and designed by a guy who did weapons and weapons-related effects for TV and the movies. And then when that went digital, he was hired by DOD. He was traveling all around the United States to those special black training sites to go in and build these incredibly realistic scenarios with explosions and squibs and yeah. fire smoke and everything. It's an awesome environment where we can create everything from getting out of your car and being attacked and then having to deal with the cops to waking up in your bedroom or on your sofa watching TV or working at your desk at your computer. Yeah, that's awesome. Staircases involved. You know, I don't know. We'll use staircases. That's pretty advanced. Fighting on stairs is really difficult, quite advanced. But the capabilities of the facility allow us to take, I think, our students for this particular iteration of this class to the absolute kind of the high, their highest point in their capabilities and what they can and where they're willing to go with their instruction and their learning. That's really, great. It's yeah. a great opportunity. 
Yeah, that is really cool. So it's in, did you say Movado? Novato. Novato. Novato, California, November 18th through the 20th? Yes. And, yes, Brent, where can they sign up? If somebody wants to say, I, I want to sign up right now, what do they do? It's SuarezInternational.com. Uh, and then you, uh, on the menu, you just look for Suarez Tactics Courses. And yeah. the class is within there. Right? Suarez International. You can are, find it. And both of you are going to be instructors? Yes. Yes. They're the Man. whole time. I've I've learned something on the 40 minutes of this video. I can only imagine what uh, what three days of class is with you two guys. Um, well, well, Bob, you got a free spot if you can make. Your uh, well, way thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I there's a reason why I do and ask everything. And earlier I asked about what about people with limitations. Um, right now I'm I'm going through a really serious left hip problem, Ooh. and um, might be facing hip replacement surgery, but I'm, I'm trying to hold that off as long as I can. But if somebody is in a in a disabling situation like that, but they want to learn how to fight from their situation, mm-hmm. can you work with them on that? Yeah, absolutely. So this, this is the thing, right? We all have our own disabilities, right? Some of us have less disabilities than others, but every one of us has some kind of, you know, my eyes aren't so great, okay? Um, I'm in pretty good shape, but you know, sometimes I, you know, my shoulders out or my knees are out, something like that. So you have to work with the body that you have right now. And as an instructor, you have to be able to, to help people work around the problems that they have. Does that mean that some things may be out of their reach? Uh, yeah, some, sometimes it is. Okay. But you know, there's a reason that we carry pistols so that, you know, that is a great equalizer. And so the goal is really just how do you get that pistol out? And someone who's a, a very good, strong, tough individual, they, they can stop you, but there, but there are tricks, there are techniques, right? And it's really just about movement. Um, are the, do some people have limitations? Yeah, but you know, that's our job as instructors to work around that. Good. I know a lot, I have seen a lot of instructors who, here's the curriculum and this is what we're gonna teach and this is all we're yeah, gonna teach. Yeah, they're rigid, yeah. yeah. They, well, because they don't know. Yeah. You know, they, they don't know how well, they, or they only know this way of doing it. And if your body won't support it, they can't help you. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can, anyone can reach the point where they're so disabled that it, it does become hard. But yeah. That's our job. Good. Thank you. In some ways, in some ways, you know, up to a certain level of physical limitation, if you have some physical limitations, this class is almost that much more important because, because you True. don't have. You know, because we have the ability to, to give you some specific techniques, tricks, ideas, concepts that you can then use to manipulate against an opponent within your own physical limitations that you wouldn't really have the opportunity to learn anywhere else. Um, okay. And if you have those limitations, your natural fighting abilities are probably limited as well. So come learn those tips and tricks. Come learn those shortcuts, some of those cheat codes and stuff like that. Yeah, so we, okay. And- good right out there living their lives, the opportunity to protect themselves or loved ones. And if I come to California, I'm going to have to leave my 15-round magazines at home, won't I? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> but, guys, we have about two and a half minutes left, so I want to give each of you guys a, uh, a minute to summarize or throw in something that we haven't talked about. Brent, why don't you go? Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, put me on the spot. Um, Sorry. You know, <laughs> that's that's quite all right. I live you know, life being thing, on the spot. <laughs> the the main thing I, I think is approaching these problems, thinking it thinking in a different way. A lot of shooters they they approach shooting as a technical exercise, and it's not. It's a gun fight. It's physical. It's visceral. It's it's a fight. It's not a shooting. Um, and I think this class, the kind of stuff that, that we do at, within Suarez Tactics, it's, it's very good about establishing that mindset and switching your brain from, hey, this is a technical problem to this is, this is a life problem. This is a, a visceral fight that you, you have to work your way through. Good. Um, but not only that. It's, it, you know, it's deeper than that because in order, in order to you, you want to have a life worth defending. So it's also about winning the life fight. 
you sh you need to be Actually, in shape okay. to fight. However, you know it's uh, we want to be in shape for our life. It's, yeah. It's it's more fun when you have a body that's able to do the things that you want to do. It's 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 more fun when you feel good when you're not in pain all of all of the time. Yeah, so, that's true. You, you know this kind of this kind of training it's it, it's not just the fighting stuff it's the life material. Thanks, and Brent. Thanks. I think that all works together. I appreciate that, Marco. What are your closing thoughts on it? I mean, I think just kind of also just kind of expand on what, what Brent said. I mean, the word gunfight and the word gunfighting. The root word isn't gun. Fight. It's fight. It's fighting. It's it's. You know, human beings started off with these, okay? Then they figured out how to use a rock, and they figured out how to use a stick, and they figured out if we sharpen the rock, and they figured out if we, you know, create alloys of other weird things we find in the earth, and then sharpen those, and then continue and continue and continue. And too many people become so enamored of the tool and of the technology associated with it, they don't really know how to use it. And yes, how to amen, isn't so that the truth? We, this is an opportunity to, you know, to come and train with us, two guys who have a lot of experience, who love this who want to give this to people yeah you know to good people so they can win that life fight so that good. in the event something terrible happens they're successful and they get to go home and continue to live their lives yeah maybe they got to go to therapy because of what happened great when you're done with therapy go to dinner with your kids you know do something beautiful because you still have that opportunity and i can um, feel from both you guys you want to give that information yeah we just we love to do it and this is a chance to do it safely, to do it in a way where you don't have to worry about being laughed at. You don't have to worry about the, any ego stuff. Everybody's there. Everybody's learning. Everybody's making mistakes. And we do it together. We grow together. And then you come out of it with a whole new skill set, a whole new respect for what you're capable of doing. You know, you rely on the gun too much. It's the old hammer and the nail analogy. If everything yeah. looks like a nail, all you do is use the hammer. Yeah. And if you're not really good at using the hammer in the first place, you hit your thumb and you mar the wood around the nail. And then what? Yeah. Put it oh, off. very good point. Very good point. Yeah, they go to this thing too much, and they don't, uh, they don't know what to do before they go to it. Yeah, or after. Or yeah. after. Or after. Point. Very good stuff. Now, I have a question for both you guys before we sign off. This has been so good. Would you come back on after your class and do a debriefing for people? I'd be honored to. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think you're probably going to notice some things in the class from some of the students, and you may have some different uh, revelations after the class is over to share with my viewers and listeners. I, I would appreciate that maybe a couple weeks after it's over. Sounds great. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the great things about being an instructor is, yeah, the students have one instructor, but a good instructor, if I have 20 students... Yes. I have 20 instructors. Yeah, so you got to, yes. I mean, to grow from and go, ah. I, that is a good that point. Yeah, that is a very great. good point. That's, that's a that's a wonderful opportunity. Thank you for that. That's we, a we great, yeah. So much from. Yeah, you're welcome. Right, in, in so many ways, both, both what to do, what not to do, how to become better instructors. You know, I, I like to think I'm pretty good. I've been doing this for a while, but every time I do this, I get a little bit better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mark was exactly right. We have, you know, if we have 25 people, we have 25 instructors teaching us. That's a good point. I'm, I might borrow that from you guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, I promise I'll give it back. And anyway, uh, as we close, I'm going to close here in just a minute. And then I got a really good question. So I want to close by reminding people to take care of my sponsors, Keepers Concealment and Concealment Solutions. And also check out Suarez International. Check out all the instructors there, including Brent and including Marco. You can go to SuarezInternational.com. Most importantly, I want to keep bringing all of you interviews like, like this with these two guys. Please support me on Patreon. Brent is on my Patreon channel. You and I did a Patreon supporter podcast, I'm pretty sure, right? We did that. Yes. Yeah. yeah we did. So you'll be able to listen to more information from from Brent and also a lot of others you can go to patreon.com slash handgun world and here is my final parting question Marco is that a drum set back there that is are you it's a an drummer drum kit. I like, like you know it's, it's you like hitting things in time right that's what it is <laughs> I was joking with Brent because Dr Brent's actually a drummer too about, oh, okay. about couple times in the dojo where I would throw a particular combo that is a was a paradiddle, one of the drumming rudiments. Oh, okay. Right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. 
<laughs> and how well it worked until I went up against another drummer. <laughs> well, the drums probably keep you, they, they, they keep your coordination and rhythm going, don't they? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Guys, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate your time. Uh, time. Time's an asset we can't make more of, and you guys gave me a pretty good amount of, amount of it, so thank you very much. Okay? Thank you a lot. I appreciate you guys. Remember, everybody, shoot straight. Keep it safe. Read your Bible every day, and I'll catch you on the next episode. You ain't getting my dog now. You can take that